Ben Smith, I'm a photographer, and this is my podcast, A Small Voice, Conversations with Photographers. Thanks for listening. On the podcast this week, Kalpesh Lathigra. Kalpesh was born and bred in London, England. Uh, he studied photojournalism at the London College of Printing, which is now known as the London College of Communication, before being awarded what was then a much sought-after traineeship with the independent newspaper, which at that time was renowned for a commitment to using excellent photography in a way that many national newspapers in the UK never really had in the past. Kalpesh went on to have a successful freelance career as a newspaper and magazine photographer, shooting features and portraits for most of the major British broadsheets and their weekend magazines. And in 2000, he won a first prize in the arts singles category of the World Press Awards. A few years later, he was awarded the W. Eugene Smith Fellowship for his long-term project about the lives of widows in India, Brides of Krishna. He's still a busy jobbing editorial photographer, but alongside that role, he's also developed his own personal practice in which he has attempted to straddle the invisible divide between editorial documentary photographer and a more authored artistic sensibility. And this is uh, something that we discuss at length in the forthcoming interview. Um, His new book, Lost in the Wilderness, which he funded with a Kickstarter campaign, will be be published later this autumn uh, and uh, is the result of five years' work documenting the Native American Lakota Sioux community of the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota, USA. Uh, That book is um, imminent and um, if you check the links uh, on the website uh, under Kalpesh's podcast um, entry, so bensmithphoto.com slash a small voice, you can follow updates as to exactly when the book is out, but it will be real soon. Enjoy the interview. Kalpesh, do you want to introduce yourself? How would you do that? Hi, this is Kalpesh the Figure. I'm an artist, stroke photographer. I've been working in photography for about 20 years. Uh, my practice has shifted from early being a news photographer to now being a kind of contemporary documentary photographer and portrait photographer. That's right. That's that's not bad. That's good. Yeah. It's better the yeah. job than I would have done. Yeah. Um, but I, it's interesting you say artist slash photographer. Yeah. What does that mean? It's really confusing for me myself, actually, because the thing is that I've started to, I guess, interrogate the medium a bit more now. And when I, you know, when I classed myself as a photographer, it was very straight. I kind of used the camera, went and t- took pictures and presented them as they are. Um, now... If I was going to use the term artist, I'm, it's the other way around, I guess. I'm, I'm, I'm sometimes using photography in a very particular way. So the, the project work I'm kind of pursuing now, it's interrogating the medium. I'm still a storyteller, but I'm trying to use photography in a very different way um, than I was before. And I, I guess, you know, maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong with the terminology of calling yourself an artist. Maybe that's just, just, just the, the, the title. It's a difficult one, I think, because photography has changed so much in the last five years. Um, I mean, it's confusing yeah. even for myself whether you're called a photographer or whether you're called an artist. I, I think it's an interesting question because some people throw that term around yeah. willy-nilly quite happily. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I, yeah, I think when you come from a sort of documentary beginnings, mm. um, you think of yourself more as I, I think of myself more as as a journalist, more of a storyteller than an artist. But then um, some people think if you're a photographer, then by definition you're an artist. I don't know. I, yeah, I find that all quite confusing. No, as well, it's very confusing. I mean, I still. I mean, when somebody asks me, you know, are you an artist or a photographer? Kind of both because I still work as I still I'm still a working photographer. You know, I still go out. I still get commissioned work, and you know, whether it's portraits, whether it's stories, I still go get commissioned work. But the thing is that for my personal work, I'm very much trying to challenge the way I take photographs and how I use those photographs. And yes, certainly, I came you know I, I come come from a documentary background, 
but my 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 thing is evolution of practice has kind of allowed me at least allowed me to think about how I tell those stories. It's not such a direct method anymore for me. It's more about trying to work in a kind of different way, just trying to evolve stuff and try to be a little bit more interesting rather than straightforward. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with being straightforward. It's just for me, I'm kind of interested in telling different different stories. I mean, when you think about someone like Steve McQueen, you know, he's an artist, filmmaker, and yes, you know, he, he made that great film, you know, 12 Years of a Slave, right? But did you know he also done a a, a light box uh, picture uh, of a of a lynching tree in the South, in, in the American South, and that you know, that's presented as a, as a one off install, installed piece. Now, you know what would you call him? Do you call him an artist? Do you call him a photographer? Well, Do you call him yeah, a, you know, he's that a- thing. <laughs> proper kind of polymath in a way because he's one of those people who can just do a yeah. lot of different things but he definitely you know started off as a as an artist artist yeah i just think you know it's i think it, i mean that's why i think it's exciting now in terms of what how the how photography is changing that certainly for me that you know i find that I, I i can wear different caps and do different things because in the past i thought i couldn't and now i think i, I i've kind of i guess i think segregate is probably a wrong word but i've kind of diversified the way i work I'm kind of I'm quite happy working as a commission photographer, but I am equally happy interrogating the medium and doing stuff that's interesting and trying to tell stories in a different way. Yeah, and is that is that kind of where you're coming from as far as your latest? Well, not your latest project. Yeah, it is your latest project because it, it's current and it's about to to be a book. Um, yeah. So tell me about it. What what is the story? Okay, so you know my you know when I first. I guess stop being a news photographer and I, and I wanted to kind of move forward to doing long form stories. You know, I've done a massive body of work in India on, 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 on widows. And it was at that point, cause I was shooting 35 mil classic black and white, but something triggered something while I was in India. And it was about how do you tell this story? Cause I couldn't quite work it out because it was too linear. And I started using different formats of cameras and that kind of started me, the thinking process. Anyway, so that was a kind of, I guess, the jumping off point. And then when I started this, this, this body of work called Lost in the Wilderness on, on, on the Lakota Sioux tribe in, um, in the South Dakota on, on the Pine Ridge Reservation, I initially went there with a digital camera and I shot classic reportage. And I came back and I looked and I thought, this is wrong. This, is, this isn't what I'm trying to achieve. And I'd been introduced to kind of the American color movement, you know, Stephen Shaw, Eggleston, Mitch Epstein, people like this. And I was like thinking, okay, so color, I can see it, but I want to use the idea of storytelling. I want to use metaphors. And I think that was the point where things changed. And with, with the way I try to approach that story was much, much more deeper research and historic, like things like historical landscapes, uh, points of interest on the reservation that could, could work as landscapes, still lives that could work. Things like the cemetery, who was buried in the cemetery at, at Wounded Knee, kind of. And you know, some of it obviously was serendipity, but it, it was a different way of working. It wasn't a narrative that was A, B, C. It was much more, you know, A, C, D, jumping around and, and just kind of finding a, a kind of what I call a non-linear narrative to the work. So the pictures could sit as singular events, but then you could also put them together as a body of work even even if it's not a linear narrative and i think for me that reverts back to kind of poetry and the kind of idea of emotion running through a poem and i think the my pictures in this set are like that that basically there isn't a story per se it's stories they're mini mini moments and i think that was the point of evolution in the practice and, and much more thinking in, in a way away from classic classic documentary for me mm. and was that the first time you'd really started considering all that that sort of stuff certainly um so weird you know, there's kind of weird little moments i had so there's three things in my head that stick out one is obviously when i've done the widows and i started using different formats and started thinking differently the second moment was um, I was in Liverpool and I was doing a fashion story of all things, but um, at the open, I think the Open Eye Gallery. I don't know what it's like. There's a gallery up. There. I think it's the Open Eye Gallery. Um, they had Alex Soft sleeping by the Mississippi. You know, it's the first time I'd seen that kind of work, and it was like, 
oh, okay, so this is pretty new, this is pretty amazing. That's how you shoot colour. <laughs> so it's kind of like, it, it was a seminal point, a change of thought process. And then, you know, I went to the States and I had mates there and I was looking for a new body of work. Again, got introduced to the American movement and I just thought, okay, here's something I can kind of use. I started thinking, yeah, it kind of, that that was a trajectory that changed everything really for mm. me. So how did you find this place, this story, this thing? Pine Ridge? Yeah. Um, I was pretty burnt out after doing The Widows and I was still working as a, like I said, as a commission photographer. So I was still doing reportage around many countries in Africa and I was getting really tired. So I took a trip out to the States and my brother lives in New York and I have a very good friend called Mark Hugo who's like, you know, he's good as a brother you know he's an, he's an uncle to my kids and he said you must read this book uh bury my heart at wounded knee it's by an author called d brown and the book tells the story of uh the native americans from their point of view and what happened to them uh when the first settlers came over from from europe and uh that kind of was a the starting point and at the end of the book there's a massacre at Wounded Knee on Pine Ridge. And that was the end of the Indian Wars of the 1800s. And, you know, the legend of Custer came out of all of this and how, you know, the, the, how the West was won, you know. And it kind of made start, start this whole thought process. So I took a trip over to Pine Ridge. But um, how I got the trip to Pine Ridge was I found, I found a woman in Devon in England who, uh, who was raising money for the Lakota Sioux by, you know, to, to raise money for propane heaters during the winter. And she gave me my, my first introduction there to one of the elders. And I took a trip out for a recce, really. And it was, it was good. I kind of, I kind of felt a place, it was a place I could work. Yeah. What, what sort of attracted you about it as a, as a topic? Ah, okay. So it's a, it's kind of, it's kind of a crazy, it's kind of a, not a crazy question, but it's kind of like, <sighs> There's a non-tangibility that you feel within your within yourself. Now, when I was there, I felt something that was like I could work there. I something in the land, something about belonging, and and that purely might be something something so silly and so kind of thing as being in. You know, it's a silly, that's a silly word to say, but it's just a. In it, like, you know, I grew up in London and despite being a Londoner and all the rest of it, there's something that's always made me feel like I don't belong here. And I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. But when I was there in America, and when I was on that reservation, I felt I belonged. I felt there was something about the land. I felt something inside me, not a non-tangible moment, but it was inside me. And I just thought, okay, this is a great, body of work I could make here but there's something I know that I could feel mm. about the place is it just the kind of being in touch with nature thing or is it more to do with your nah. kind of your racial kind of background yeah, the fact that I, mean, I think I think it's are... more yeah I think it's not definitely not a nature thing because I tell you what like the, the countryside in the UK scares the hell out of me yeah well you're a Londoner man you're a proper yeah Londoner. I mean I can't I mean I mean my dad used to take us on trips he'd be to the seaside and back on the train Forget the countryside, and and and, it's, and and for many years going into the countryside here on on jobs just freaked me out. But in the states, I can go around and go around the countryside, and I'm and I'm fine. And it's, and it's got nothing to do with hiking or nature, but it's just about feeling be belonging. And I think that comes back to what you're saying about the fact that you know I come from an Im Im immigrant stock. Mm. You know, my parents came here from Africa. I was born here, and you know, I grew up in the 70s and early 80s, and, and I've always kind of felt something not quite right. And I think my kids are different. You know, my kids, I think, feel they belong here. Whereas for me in the States, and it purely, purely might be down to the fact that, you know, America has that kind of romantic notion of the immigrant and you can do anything you want. And I kind of feel that when I'm there. I don't feel like a stranger. You know, it's a ridic ridiculous sort of glamorization or romantic notion of it. But, you know, when I step out of my brother's apartment in New York, I'm happy. Mm. It's cool. You know, I feel like I belong, and I don't. And you know, when we're driving, whether it's Pennsylvania, whether it's South Dakota or upstate New York, I don't feel this uncomfortability. There's no fear. I think that's what it is. I don't feel no fear. Mm. 
and I can quite properly admit that I don't, I don't feel scared there. I think here I feel I kind of I feel wary here at times. Really, even though this is your very yeah. much your home. Yeah, yeah. Something in me triggers something. I don't know what it is, and it's not like you know, I get on with it, but um, there's something about that notion of being out in the open over there. And it just might be a romantic notion, and also it could be just like something really ridiculous, as like when people hear you talk there, you know, it's like you're 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 exotic. Yeah, I know. You know, you're, you know, you're an Indian who speaks English, and you know, what tribe are you actually? I'm not a tribe. I'm yeah. from India or Africa, or whatever. You know. So, what did they make of you? Did did you manage to sort of get create a certain amount of trust from the beginning? Okay, so it's just, it's that's quite. I mean, it's quite a funny thing that because. You know, my friend Mark is, is Ukrainian stock from like 1920s. You know, he's a, he's a New Yorker, you know, Caucasian. I'm Indian, brown. Uh, Mark found it quite difficult. For me, it was quite easy because, you know, we there's a dark humour. And, you know, they said to me, so, you know, Columbus should have found you guys first. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of, there's a, there's a relationship there already right. in place. A sort of kindred spirit. Yeah, it's a kindred spirit. But also, you know, the thing is at the end of the day, you know, um, Ben... There's a certain thing that's probably unspoken of, but, you know, uh, people who have been colonised have a understanding. They carry that around with them. So, you know, I know historically what happened in India, what happened in Africa, uh, all of these things that they carry with you in, 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 in your history and you understand the kind of the racial dynamics of stuff as well. And I think over there it's exactly the same thing. So, you know, the Native Americans are people of colour. And they understand what's happening. I understand what's happening to them. That is that kindred spirit. Right. So it's a link point. You're kind of almost already trusted just on the basis of that anyway. I'm not saying I didn't have to work at stuff and kind of build people's trust, but it's easier. Mm. It's easier for me mm. to go there and do stuff. It sounds like there are a whole bunch of good reasons for you wanting to do that yeah. project. Yeah, I mean, but don't, I mean, also don't forget that, you know, the, it, it, it also is part of the practice of, you know, the, the idea of I've always worked in communities that are kind of forgotten or kind of sidelined. So the, the widows, you know, it's a community of 5,000 women live in one or two towns in India and they are kind of downtrodden and they're kind of pushed to one side and, you know, they, they're, they're exploited uh, in the business of faith. Uh, and so when I've done this project with a Lakota Sioux, you know, civil and human rights of Native Americans have pretty much been crushed since, since the 70s, you know. Um, whereas when you look at the kind of civil rights movements of, of African Americans, you know, it's they've been still quite strong. It's still quite vocal. Even when you think about Black Lives Matter, it's a strong movement. Now, if you compare that to Native American rights, you hardly hear what's going on. And it's, it's you know modern day racism on 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 the towns outside of the reservation completely exists there. Mm. You know, it's, it's still there. It's, you know, there's there's still suicides. There's still lack of opportunities. You go across the borders of Canada. You know, there, those issues still go on there, um, and probably a bit more vocal in Canada, but certainly in the states, Native American rights have pretty much been pushed to one side. It's very very difficult. Right. So, how did you go about? Taking it on, did you think of it uh, as a long-term thing from the start? Certainly a long-term thing because, you know, it is about building trust. And it's also about, and probably more importantly than building trust, is trying to work out how you tell these stories. Because, you know, in one aspect, you can go there as a classic news photographer. You can make great photographs um, as a photographer. And I'm talking purely on the kind of visual, the visual language of composition. It's there. You know, you've got ramshackle houses, you've got poverty, you've got exotic, you know, Native Americans, you've got all the cliches are there. You, it's easy. Mm. It's too easy. And so that was a hindrance because I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to, I didn't want to have a stereotypical view of making this work. And that's why it took even longer because I was trying to make sure the photographs I took didn't reinforce stereotypes. Um, you know, I didn't want, you know, powwows and things like that or, you know, I have one picture of 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 Vincent brings plenty. who's wearing a a, a headdress. I mean, it is the only picture of of, of a Lakota suit in a headdress because I steadfastly stayed away from those things. And that, and also just research wise, you find new things out. So you know, I went to Nebraska um, where they had uh, something called Fort Robinson. Then I wanted to hit. That's where Crazy Horse was killed, and that's historically important. You know, in in, in the timeline of, of the Lakota suit because. 
before Pine Ridge became shrunk, it was a much bigger reservation. And before the reservations were there, it was actually the Lakota Sioux's land went, went vastly to, to Nebraska, Minnesota, to the south. Um, so those things were interesting in researching. Um, things like, I was saying, like a Wounded Knee Cemetery, finding finding the grave of uh, uh, Lost Bird, which is a, in, another young girl who survived Wounded Knee, and working out the historical nature of why, what happened with her. You know, she ended up in California before she died quite young, and then she was reinterred back in the Wounded Knee Cemetery. So it's finding those things, you know, and finding important moments of history, but also finding, I guess, microcosms of history. So rather than telling the big landscape story of this is the Lakota Sioux, it's those little moments were just as important. So it took time. Mm. And obviously the other thing is that, you know, money, because this is all self-funded. So Well, I was going to say, I mean... The problem of, of doing that kind of a story is, um, you know, from the start that if you have to keep making re- return trips for an extended period of time, it's going to be difficult. Yeah, uh, yeah. Did you, how did you kind of rationalize all that? Well, I kind of like, um, the idea of rationalizing in my mind is this, right? So I know I have to work. I have to work. You know, I have to go get commissioned work as, as a working photographer. That's how I earn my living. You know, I got to put bread on the table. I got two kids and I'm, and I'm married. You know, I got a house to keep going. Um, and at first, it felt quite difficult because I felt kind of like, oh, you know, I should be spending lots of time doing this. But then, you know what? I realized there was, you know, working is a, is a good thing. Working is a good thing. It's good for the soul. And you know, whether I'm shooting celebrity portraiture or whether I'm shooting commissioned stories for, for the magazines here or in the UK or abroad. It provides and pays for the bills and it gives me a little bit of money to save up and go put into my project work. And I rationalize that. So, okay, I won't be able to go every year. If I can go once a year, twice a year, it's brilliant. You know, and I can put, take some time out and do it because that was to feed the soul. That work was my work and it allowed me to go away. And it's just, it's just, it's just, sim- it's just simple that, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I haven't got a trust fund and it sounds harsh. And some people abuse that thing, but you know, some people are really good at it. But for me, I, you know, it, this this is about my work, and I wanted to invest the time and time and money in it, and to pay for it, I have to do that. And mm. you know, I, I don't think I got a grant for this one. I applied for grants, I didn't get grants for this one. So it's all literally money I put in from just earning. Yeah, savings. Or- savings, or yeah, I mean. You know, I go shoot if I go shoot a celebrity portrait, and then you know that is used for the magazine, but then it's syndicated. Right. You know, you get a bit of money for that. You put it aside. You think, okay. Yeah, I'm gonna go shoot, and then you know, if I was doing a story in the states for another magazine, I'd extend the trip, right, by a couple of weeks. And so then you over. can you can sort of incorporate some of your working, yeah, life piggyback into, it, yeah. But I think that's incredibly important. What you're saying about working is you know being really crucial. There's lots of benefits to doing that, apart from just um, obviously paying for the personal projects. Yeah, well, I think you know, commission work is a challenge. It's you know, it, it teaches you how to navigate uh, your practice in, in moments then that are quite, you know, quite harsh. Because normally when you're doing a commission assignment, you're on a timeline. You've got a very short amount of time usually. You, you've got to work out the logistics of, of the job, make things happen. And what I found, which is really, really beneficial from, uh, from doing commission work, is sometimes you get absolute moments of genius that set off a train of thought that allow you to do another project. So, I, you know, I won't say what project I'm thinking about now, but, uh, you know, the thing was that um, I just done a recent commission uh, for a French magazine, and it's if it works out, this could be a really a new project that could leak, uh, lead into the, the, the wider practice of forgotten communities. And that's come about because of, of that commission. Um, you know, I worked in Jordan last year four times at Zatari Refugee Camp, now, the initial visit was just reportage, but on the second, third visits, I took a passport camera with me. And, you know, that's another project I'm working on that's evolving. And it's because of that commissioned work that I've got the access yeah. to so, do that. So doing jobs can actually be a great source of, of ideas in a way. Yeah, absolutely. It certainly. Absolutely is. And also, I mean, it's funny how things work out. So, so I used to do... Um, Work for the UN for UNICEF, and I photographed the ambassadors. So one of the ambassadors was Rafe Fines, and I done three jobs with Rafe, and we became friends. So when Rafe made Coriolanus, 
I, I, I was in a position to approach him and say, hey, you know, I'd love to come on set to do, do a series of landscapes using a 5.4 camera. Uh, it was an interesting story because, you know, Coriolanus is, you know, is rebooted for the modern age, but it was filmed in the former Yugoslavia, in Belgrade, in Serbia. And, you know, the, the Balkans war was, you know, very recent. And here you had uh, actors dressed up in modern day, you know, soldier outfits, you know, and tanks and, and in, in, in this environment that was once war-torn. And, you know, the Balkans has always been kind of like... Uh, uh, a hotbed you know you know there's been wars there for a, for a long 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 time yeah i thought it was quite interesting to be able to do a body of work there but that came about because of the you know the unicef link and exactly. link and it but it's a great story yeah and and did you kind of have the idea fully formed as it were from the beginning or did you did that evolve as as time went on or ha- oh no it comes, it, you know, the lost in the wilderness idea yeah. no i'm talking about the coriolanus because- oh yeah that was fully formed in my head i mean i was like basically in my head i had it that okay this is filmed in the in in, in belgrade the locations are going to be interesting because this was a place that was at war you know, at one point um i kind of decided that i was going to shoot you on 5-4 and I decided how I was going to pay for it, and I, and how I was going to pay for it was that basically I you know I approached the Telegraph magazine and said, "Hey, I've got access to this to to, to Coriolanus. Uh, how would you feel about doing a, like a diary piece?" Right. So that that and, and that's what I talk about skill set. So being a news photographer, I could go there with two thirty-five mil you know digital cameras and shoot a diary reportage mm. of the making of the film, mm. which is great because I know I can shoot that. Without, it's, it's, for me, I know it sounds really, this sounds, this sounds, sounds, sounds probably sound egotistical, but if I say it in the right context, what it is, is, is it, it, it's not rocket science. The skill set kicks in. You can make great pictures on a film set because all the factors are there, whether it's the lighting equipment, whether it's the kind of makeup, whether it's the location, you can make a diary series really quite easily. Sure. As long as you've got the access. Yeah, but or, you were able to to sort of uh, but I wanted to five four stuff. shoehorn your own project into Completely. into that yeah, and yeah. get paid. Yeah. Everyone's happy. Yeah, yeah, because that, gets what they want. Yeah, because it, you know, I, again, that comes down to the whole economic thing. Saying, okay, how do, this is my project. I want to shoot. How do I get from A to B to do that? You have to think laterally sometimes. Yeah, yeah. and you know, basically allow me to do that. And then you know, I, I the five four set. You know, we I, I you know logged lugged this camera around making moments that I thought would work. Um, and the, the great thing about it is that, you know, I produced a good body of work on a 5.4, which then was exhibited in Belfast, which then led to, a, you know, being commissioned for the Brighton Biennial last year. Mm. And because, the you know, Celia Davis of PhotoWorks saw the work in Belfast and, you know, we were introduced and, that, you know, it, it's that dynamic. Suddenly you get it, you know, and, that, and those, that's why, again, it's important to be doing these things. But, yeah, that idea was fully formed mm. in my head. I knew what I wanted to do with it. Right. So back to the um, the uh, lost, in the wilderness. Uh, lost in the wilderness. Yeah, um, you're saying that you know you kind of came back from that first trip with some digital stuff. Mm-hmm. You didn't, you weren't happy with it. You, it wasn't what you wanted. How what? How did you then kind of go about deciding on how to approach it? So yeah, I looked at the work and it was like it was just crap. Mm. It's like really was just nothing. So um, what I found, and this is just a technical point, was that shooting digital, it was the machine gun effect, I'm going to call it that. Yeah. You can shoot as much as you want. So I wasn't thinking. I was grabbing. Right. So I decided I was going to switch to analog, go back to film. I invested in a couple of Mamiya 7s, went to you know medium format. And I knew that, you know, that psychological effect, you only shoot 10 frames. And it's a cliche, but it's true. You know, it slowed me right down. And... I started thinking a lot more about what I wanted to capture there. What were the pictures I was going to make? Because the reportage stuff from the digital was just nothing. It was just cliched nonsense. And that's when I started doing the research. Right. So I came back and read a lot more, a lot so, more historical stuff. So what is an example of actually, you know, the, the medium that you choose actually having a big influence on the way you started to think about what you wanted to get out of it? Okay, so when you mean medium, you mean the use of the medium format? Yeah, I mean the fact that you, once you decided to shoot on film and medium format, yeah. everything changed about the way that you approached right. the actual shooting. Yeah, with, 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 the, with, 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 the, with, with the digital medium in terms of the 35mm, the responsiveness is different. I'm just trying to work out the right words because I was, I think, physically responding to what was happening in front of me. 
with the, with the, with the 35mm system, right? Yeah. But with a medium format, I'm not physically responding in the same way. I have to kind of position myself in a very distinct way and think about the picture in a much more precise way. And why am I taking this picture? What? Why is it important? Is, is, it, is it important because it's, it's visually pretty? Or is it important because it says something? Is there a deeper meaning to it? Mm-hmm. Is there a metaphor behind it? You know, it, can, can it be read in a different way? Not in such an obvious way. Yeah. And that, that's, that, that's the medium making me think, you know, that I have to slow it down. I have to think, think, think. And, and I think th- having, having that medium, it does do that. There's a physical reaction to you doing it like that, where you, 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 walk, you can walk away from it. And again, you know, don't forget this is film. So you're not going to be popping stuff off. Yeah, you have to think because your money, I know part of your brain thinking, if I shoot 10 rolls, right? So 10, 10 frames on this, right? That's a roll of film gone. And I've got to pay for another bloody roll to get it processed again. <laughs> and, you know, I remember reading a story about, I think Stephen Shaw, was it? Or Joel Sternfeld, one of those guys. And they would shoot like two sheets of 10-8 a day. Right, because it was so damn expensive. expensive yeah. yeah, and it's that's a, the thing of it. Totally, you got to think about. You got to think things. about, it. and that's and, you know, there is that's a response to the medium, but more, more, definitely more and more so was because I physically and mentally prepared myself in a different way of thinking. That you know, so the places I went to cho- choose to photograph, I had researched beforehand. Why should I go to this place? So if I went to Little Bighorn in Montana, where they, where, where, you know, they had the, this, the, the battle of you know the battle of Little Bighorn with when Custer was killed. Uh, it was important to go there because it's historically important. And then have a serendipity, you know, so the picture from that particular series, that, you know, that from, from Little Bighorn, I went there with some elders from, from, the, from the reservation and uh, we, were at the, we were at the memorial place there and a cowboy turned up. And that's serendipity, that's a bit of luck, but it works. And the kind of picture, you look at the picture, you've got this kind of like, Weird juxtapositioning of a cowboy with the Native Americans who are not in their headdresses. But, you know, it's funny because the people who are not stereotypically in the picture are, are, are you know, they're not the Indians. They're being represented differently. The cowboy is the stereotype. Right. Because he's got his cap on, the jeans and, the, you know, all of that going on. It's kind of, it's, it's really interesting, that whole thing of it. Yeah. That's a nice little piece of luck. Mm. But you kind of make your own luck in that respect. And the fact that, you know, you put yourself in that. Yeah, definitely. Position in the first place. Yeah. How did you kind of decide it was finished? It sounds crazy. Less is more. Yeah. I could go on and on and make pictures all day. It's not like you can't. You can. But where do you stop? No, exactly. You know, and the thing is that, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I, have a, I had a very particular vision about what I, was, what I was trying to say about the place, you know, about the land and, and the people and, and what goes on there. But it wasn't like, look, I'm going to try to change the world here. It's, this is not a campaigning tool mm. of work. People can be informed by it. And I thought that was enough and informed me in a very particular way. You know, I want, you know, I want people to look at these pictures as a, you know, in, in a way that they can read them, look at them and not be hammered by them in a sense like bang, 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 look what this should change the world here. Because I don't believe that can do that. But I think if you, if you do it in a quiet way, people resonate and think a lot more around a picture. And I think I, looking at the set I made, I, I looked and I thought, you know what? There's enough here. Mm. I don't need to do. I don't need to do no more. Mm. You know, what's the point? What, what am I trying? What am I trying to do? Well, you have to start thinking in terms of how how you're going to get them out there and get people to see them. Yeah. I presume you'd already decided that it should be a book. Um, to be honest with you, Ben, um, the whole book thing was a real, really difficult decision. You know, as you know, that you know the the photo book market has exploded, and it it took me a long time to get my head around deciding that I wanted to make a book on this because I didn't just want it to be a book, another book. And maybe it will just be another book. I don't know. But for me inside, I, I just thought, you know, I wanted to take my time and, and kind of, I, I, I you know, it's, it's always difficult because when you get, a, when you get work published in a magazine, there's not longevity in that. You know, it, 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 it kind of, as much as I love working for magazines, I know that a week later, somebody else's great work's going to be in there and my work's going to go. That's it. It's the nature of the beast. But with a book, it's going to stay there. And of course, there is the, the selfish ego side of me that's saying that, you know, I can choose how I want the work to be presented in a book. 
Um, because in a magazine that's down to an art director or creative director, layouts, you're fighting against text and all the rest of those things. So it's quite hard to always be pleased. Yeah, of course. Uh, whereas with a book, you think, okay. Well, suddenly thing. it's your thing and, it's your and thing. It's, you've worked hard on it yeah. and it's sort of, you, you know, it's kind of like your right to then yeah. present it. In the and way also it's to. accessible. I mean, it's like with everything that's changed now with technology, you know, uh, book publishing is, is accessible now. And I'm not saying that every book should be published, but certainly there's a, there's a, you can, there's a medium there now that's, that's, that's changed the way we look at photography. Um, I'd, obviously, we'd like it to be a little bit more broader than our kind of circle of photographers who, all, you know, we all look at each other's work right? and you want the work to, you know, the ideal thing is that you'll you make that leap past our industry mm. out to the wider world. But it's, but it's a good way of getting your work out and people looking at it. Yeah, I mean, I think you've kind of hit upon an interesting question, really, because is it necessarily the best way to show your images to a, to a larger number of people? Um, it's Well, listen, I think, you know, you, we, we cannot deny that digitally the internet is the biggest way that most people are going to see our pictures now um it's it, it's just the, the i think the book or the magazine or a printed page is just a different medium a much more tangible medium for us to, for people to look at our work and and, and feel them it's, it, and it's just there's just it's just part of a wider network out there uh, my my issue is more about i think anybody can go out and put, 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 print a book now um so back in the day, self-publishing was seen as vanity publishing. Yeah. Now it's not. Now no. it's a now it's a kind of legitimate. I want to get my work out. But the thing is that I think, and this was why this is where I was struggling about should I print a book or not, because what makes my work special to print as a book? I don't know. But I finally thought, okay, I think I should. And I spoke to and then I took I took I guess a straw pop straw poll of people who I felt were important to me, who I thought, do you think this should be a book? What do you think? I mean, I mean, to be completely honest, and you know, it was, it was sort of positive. And I think, yeah, I'm happy. I'm doing the book. Um, so, did you decide to go the self-publishing route right from the start, or did you approach some of the established book um, publishers in the? In, no, I mean, re- the reality is, I'll and I'll be completely honest about it. You know, there, there was only two publishers I wanted to go with. You know, one was Steider, one was Mac, and that's purely because of my ego. And then I heard that Steider wasn't going to take any more work for the next three years. Uh, and I thought, okay, so that's a definite no-no. It's gone out the window. And with the, with, with, with Mac, it was a kind of weird thing that came about. It was, you know, I'd, I'd gone to, to their office to pick up a friend's work who'd, who'd entered the first book award, you know. And it was the first book award, as great as it is, it was so oversubscribed. And I thought, holy cow, you know what? I don't know, maybe I just lost my confidence in asking them, but I just felt like, you know what, I, I, I don't think it's going to happen. And um, So you didn't even ask in the end? I didn't ask in the end, you know, and I just thought, and do you know what? There was, I mean, there were other things. I mean, I, you know, obviously George Giorgio had, uh, you know, just had done his book. Um, Doug Dubois, a really good friend of mine, had just, has just done, his, just done his book via Kickstarter with Aperture. And and Will Stacey, again, another American photographer, you know, has done this body of work that's just been done through Kickstarter. And I just thought, wait a minute, this is this is interesting because, you know, it was, it was difficult for me to dip my toe in that world of doing it because you are pretty much naked. Yeah, it's a very vulnerable position to put it's yourself in. It's a very in. vulnerable position because to put yourself in. Because if you in. don't get your funding, it makes you feel like, you know... It's, it, it, it's listen, telling you know the world is trying to tell you something about the quality of your I know. work or something, which is obviously not the case. But it, I can no, imagine but it feels no, that way. It's listen, mate. It was one of the scariest, hardest things I've done because it, you are vulnerable to that, and it, you know we all have our egos and we all have our kind of fragilities and all the rest of it. And it, it was scary because I, you know, thank God, you mm. know that yeah. it worked out and, and the support was there, but. Saying that, you know, I had very good support from people before I started. You know, I, I spoke to interested people. I spoke to, you know, obviously George gave me advice. Mm. Doug Dubois gave me advice. Will Stacey gave me advice. On how to go about the kickstarting process. Yeah, the, the kickstarting process and, 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 and the work as well, because at the end of the day, it was, like, it was like a vote of confidence. The other thing you also have to consider is how to actually make sure people go and buy it. You know, people's attention is is being uh, kind of fought for. 
It well, is, and I even think even more people it, certainly. And and uh, I think this again another important point to make is um, whenever I speak to young photographers, and I, now I, <laughs> I don't know if that word emerging photographer now because I you know I'm getting old in blood shooting for twenty years and I still feel like. You're still emerging. Still bloody emerging, yeah. yeah. But, um, uh, but the interesting, when I speak to young photographers coming out of college now, and I say that the most important thing is this, it has to be your authorship. If you want to get people's attention, it has to be your authorship because the technicalities of photography are not rocket science. You can go off now, and certainly it's easier with digital cameras to do stuff. Yeah. Well, like you say, I mean, you can do, you can do good stuff on an iPhone. It, technically, it looks fantastic. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, it's, and you only have to go onto Instagram to know that there's five bazillion images out there um, yeah you know and uh, being added to every day so that then leaves the question how do you differentiate yourself from everyone else completely and that, that is purely i think down to authorship yeah i think it really i mean obviously look don't get me wrong i think you need to understand the marketplace out there you have to understand how it, how it works i think your work and to break into that marketplace your work has to sing it has to be authored. You have to, you know, I didn't shoot celebrity portraiture five years ago. It's now a strong part of my, my practice. Why? Because I invested time and money into doing that. You know, my, my, my lights I bought, you know, it cost me three grand. I've just paid them off now, you know, after three years. But uh, it changed the way I shot because I was going to do these portrait commissions for magazines in hotel rooms to make a decent picture. I had to get lighting in. I use backdrops, I use an assistant. All those things change the dynamic of how you work and how people, also how people look at you when you're working like that. Because when you go then you're producing work in a very particular way, right? It, it does change how people perceive you and how you're working. And it changes your practice because you understand. I mean, you know, I, uh, when I was a news photographer, I'd go in there with a, with, a, with a, you know, 50 mil lens and use available light and bosh it out. You know, it's like, oh, here's a news picture. Now... You know, I'm setting up backdrops. I'm, I have an assistant doing tests in there. Yeah. You know, sometimes we're shooting on tether to the computer. You know, we're, we're lighting in particular. We're using different different lighting tools. Now, why do I do this? Because it's great for the skill set, and it's great because clients can see what I'm doing. Yeah. And it's important because it authors you. It separates you. You know why you're going to get commissioned. You know, if I'm and when I go do a story now, I'm not going to be shooting a story in the same way I did ten years ago. I'm going to be shooting a story in a very particular way, in a very authored way that separates me from the next person shooting that story. It has to be that way because, you know, I know now that in my head, my skill set allows me to shoot reportage pretty easily. But how do you author that reportage? How do you author that portrait? How do you author that documentary work? How do you author that still life? It's really, really important because when somebody is commissioning you, that's what they're going to look at. They want that. They want. They, they want to see how you how you see, and it has to be distinguished from Joe Bloggs next to you. Yeah, I mean, maybe that goes back to right at the beginning where you kind of describe yourself as an artist slash photographer. Maybe the authorship part of it is the artist. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. You know, it probably is that because because you're you're, you're thinking much much more, and I think. That's become a, ne- a necessity now, thinking. And I think, let me give you an example. Right? Look at NGOs, yeah? So back in the day, when you were photographing for an NGO, you, you know, you go into a country and you shoot reportage for what was going on in front of you. And again, it maybe sounds controversial, but it, it was pretty easy because lo and behold, you're in a situation that is, pictures can be made. They're there. They're in front of you. But for me today to go do that, yes, technically it's easy. Doesn't say anything. Doesn't say anything more for me. It's just I, I got to think about how do I approach that? How do I approach that story now? What is? How do? How do I tell that story differently? You know, because it's for me. It's too easy. It's too easy to go there, walk into a refugee camp, or a hospital, and make a picture. Go, okay, here you go. Hmm. It's, it's information. That's all it is. It's, an, it's information in front of me. When I, if I do that kind of picture, but if I do a picture that's more thoughtful, if I do a picture that thinks about the thing underneath it, that's that's what I'm after. I'm after that. I'm not after that quick, great look at that composition. It all works together, and I think it's, I think it's lazy. Mm. 
You know, I'm not. I'm not thinking he's not visually arresting. Because like, yeah, but it's it's the same stuff that people have been doing for. You of know, course, it is since you know the kind of heyday of Magnum and before. Yeah, because you know you can go in with a fifty mil and a thirty five mil lens and you make the pictures. I think was, I think was, who's really interesting, right? So there's a guy called Chen Chi Cheng, right? Chen Chi Chen Chi Cheng, I think his name is how to pronounce it. Now Chen Chi, you know, he's a Magnum photographer, Taiwanese, I think it is. He is right. You look at his work. I mean, he's he's been evolving, and you know, I would I I, I just even though he uses black and white and some color, I would never describe him as a reportage photographer because there's something in his work that has evolved and he's been doing in there, that stops you dead in your tracks. And it's like it works because he, he tells those stories in a very particular way. And I think that's the important thing, again, back to the authorship. And, uh, you, and you know, you can go like I said, into, a, into a situation and make really easy pictures. I think Tim Hetherington was very good. I mean, Tim would go off and do a story like, he's like, sleeping soldiers is genius. Mm. Because here you, here you have the crux of war. It's actually not the bang bang of war. It's actually the boringness of war, the kind of the, those moments of quietness, the moments of peace when you're a human being, when you're kind of the same as everybody else. Yeah. Sleeping, you know. And, you know, you shot all the other stuff, but the stuff that stands out is the sleeping soldiers because it is, it goes against our kind of ingrained or embedded knowledge of war. You know, the pictures that we all already know. Yeah, the cliche. The cliche. Exactly. You know, I was telling you earlier about this, the, the kind of refugee situation in, in, in Jordan. Yeah. So I'd done a, in, whilst I was there, I, I, I started shooting passport portraits of, of uh, Syrian refugees at the camp because I was interested in this whole idea of identity, the one democratic portrait. And I wanted to, again, you know, uh, interrogate and also disrupt the idea of how you photograph in a refugee camp, you know, because again, for me, photographing ref- you know, in that refugee camp, it's all there. You've got, you know, you've got the tents, you've got the hardships. They're all, they're all there. They, they make for a good photograph. But how do you stop the cliche of that? And I thought, well, what's interesting is that one democratic portrait. What is, that? what is it if you're a refugee, if you lose your identity, if you become stateless? What happens then? You know, what is that one thing that we all carry? It's a passport picture. It's a picture of identification, whether it's our driving licenses, whether it's in our passports. So the idea... Initially, I was shooting on a passport camera. Uh, when I do go out again, I will set up a mini studio using digital a digital camera, and the pictures will be taken, and then I'll bring them back to the UK, and then they'll be fed through a biometric passport maker, a passport picture maker. So, you know, when we have our passport pictures taken now, they must stipulate a certain way they're done to satisfy the government authorities for your documents. Mm. So these will be biometrically sound pictures. So... That's the first stage, getting those pictures done and then biometrically set out. And then from that point, uh, there'll be a, a, another process where I will start interrupting the, each photograph by, by using a percent, percentile. So you lose identity by percentile, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you have, you have the original picture, then 10% you lose something, 10% you lose something again, copy after copy, until, until you're left with just an imprint of, of, of the picture of the person. Right, and that if I choose twenty five subjects, that's two hundred and fifty. There's two hundred and fifty images, or more, because if you if I present them not just as, as a single portrait, but as a four by four, you know, you know, as, as you get out of a machine, yeah, that's a thousand pictures if you imagine. So, twenty five subjects in that same way, whether it's in a grid format, whether it's published in some kind of zine or some kind of digital book in a very particular way, we'll see. I mean, I don't know if you remember. I keep coming back to Steve McQueen. I don't know. Maybe he's a kind of hero of mine, but I don't remember seeing Steve McQueen's uh, piece on the on the British soldiers who fought in Iraq and died. Yeah, I saw that yeah. quite recently. Yeah, with the um, cabinet, right? It's at the War Museum. War Museum, yeah, with the stamps, right? Yeah, it's fantastic. That's, yeah, exactly. It's smart. It's, it's actually making you think. Yeah, and that's what I'm hoping with, with with this with this idea of statelessness and refugees in the same similar way having this idea of a democratic portrait that kind of disappears. I just think, you know, again, again, you know, you, you, you know, go back to the original start of conversation being an artist or a photographer. Well, here you have, you know, I'm using photography, but I'm being an artist. If that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. But, you know, you're basically... You don't have you to apologise. No, it just, feel, it just feels weird. 
I think it just feels weird to call myself an artist sometimes. Because, yeah, and I think that's it's, where we started, which yeah, you know, is yeah. probably... Yeah, you know, I'm, yeah. you know, Ben, I mean, same as you, man, I'm a working-class blue-collar boy, and you know, I kind of I grew up around East London, and, you know, in, the arts came to me very late in, in many ways. I, you know, I... Yeah, and I, I, I guess I've got this kind of ridiculous um, aversion to any, any kind of pretension. And I think, you know, as soon as people start throwing the word artist around, it just immediately... I have this kind of a Pavlovian response to it, which which is probably um, not particularly you know sensible or anything. But I just I, you know as a as a kind of as someone who is always fascinated by storytelling as a kind of documentarian, mm. I um, I wouldn't I don't consider myself an artist, and I probably I don't know if I probably never will. It's I mean it's, I mean I, I, it's, it's interesting because I I think I remember reading an article in the Guardian I think it was in two thousand and four. May have been a bit later with Luke Delahey, you know, and yeah, uh, yeah. there's a moment he said, "I'm an artist, not a photojournalist," yeah. and it's like, and, he, and, and, and I think the author of the article said, you know, for a French person to say this, it was just like it was easy. Yeah. <laughs> He's just rolled off the dog. But I remember that, and I, I remember you know being quite pissed off with Luke Delahey for becoming an artist because oh, uh, you know really? it was a kind of well, yeah, because he was you know it was kind of like I just oh, I just thought, oh, you pretentious bastard! This is I got completely opposite. I just kind of fell in love with him, right? Because I mean, because it's like you know, I just thought here was a guy who kind of like, I guess had 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 the kahunas to kind of just say, you know what, I'm jumping ship and I'm doing what I'm going to do, and it's like, and he started doing very large format stuff, and 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 he, you know, he had he was the sort of definitive kind of photojournalist. He was doing all that that kind of you know very sort of traditional stuff that had come from the Magnum. Tradition. Yeah, but there you go. It just goes to show you can't please all the people all the time. No, I think it, you know made you happy, made me. Um, yeah, I just, I just it's kind of. I mean, I, I think you know, and the thing is this. So yeah, of course that in, in, you know that little person on my shoulder telling me, Jesus Christ, you sound really pretentious. When he says, and some, lots of my friends who are not in photography just laugh, and my wife will just crack up saying, "Oh yeah, I married that romantic bloody artist who <laughs> makes some money." Kind of thing. Please, but um. I'm kind of becoming a little bit more comfortable with it at the same time because I'm understanding the way I'm working is not as a straight photographer or a documentary photographer anymore. And it's, and it's kind of quite freeing yeah. because, you know, there's there's all these you know controversies over uh, um, use of Photoshop, enhancements of pictures. And I think not being a photojournalist has helped me now because now it allows me the freedom to tell a story in a different way. Mm. Um, and, 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 and be that and, and, I, and I don't have to worry about stuff now don't get me wrong because the thing is if, I, if I'm commissioned by a magazine and if it's not agreed with them that you know that you know I would like to work in this particular way and they say no Cal you know actually we want you to shoot this straight it has to be like this. there's no interrogation into the medium you can't do this and that because, because the rules are laid out and I know what, I know what, what side of the, the line I'm, I'm, I'm working on but if I say to a magazine, hey, listen, this is how I think we should approach this project. This is how I think we should approach the medium of doing it. And I think this is more interesting. That allows me that latitude to work in that way. And, and I think it, it respects the ideals of photojournalism and, and kind of what they're based upon. But I think it also gives me the freedom to say, hey, do you know what? Actually, I can use my skill set to do that work and work in a very particular way. And it's going to be a journalistic assignment. Yeah. Or I can say, hey, do you know what? This is a really good story. And I'd really like to work in this way on this story because I think it'd be much, much more interesting for us to do it that way. Um, and as long as, I think as long as that's laid down, I think that's, that's the important thing. I think the, the problem occurs when people lie about it, when people, when people start, start messing around. And then they don't tell the the person who's commissioned them that this is what took place. Right. So they're and, not upfront about it from the yeah, start. Yeah, and I think that and that and therein lies here the problem because then when you start showing this as in inverted commas the truth, and you've already messed around with it. In, 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 and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about changes in exposure. I'm not talking about kind of uh, retouching in, in a way that's kind of just to take out dust and that. I'm talking about actual changes, you know, bringing something completely different into the picture uh, and not saying you've done that and, you know, and, and you've lied about it because you have not, not said I think if you just say, hey, you know what? I'm an artist and I'm going to use the medium in this way. I think that's the important thing. There's nothing wrong with that, but then you can't really present it as 
no, documentary. But, no, anymore. no, but yeah, but that's the thing. But you wouldn't. I think it's. You, I think then you just say this is an, uh, an illustration. This is an ideal about yeah. the thing. I mean, the, the recent controversy of the World Press um, over one of the winning entries, which was subsequently disqualified, mm. um, you know, was kind of what a lot of this is a, was about because. Uh, there was a set of images which, you know, subsequently turned out... They were staged. Well, yeah, well, yeah, let's cut to the chase. I mean, I don't know, certainly some of the captions were very misleading. Yeah, Yeah. and um, yeah, that that was uh, something. But do you you feel, is this part of a kind of wider trend? It, It seems to me it might be that traditional kind of documentary photography has become unfashionable somehow. Um, I don't think it's unfashionable. I think I, I think the problem is I think I think we need to, as a community of photographers or artists, understand that things are changing, things are moving forward, and I think we should react to them in in, in a way that's positive rather than like batting down the hatches and saying closing the doors or and, and ring fencing stuff. I think I think I think the, I think I think the world press were wrong. In disqualifying him. I think, well, under the rules that he's going to be disqualified, but I think what we should do now is we should have a, unless I already have, have, have a have a um, category that allows for that staging. I think the... Well, just surely it's just the wrong competition. I mean, you've got to choose your competition um, according to... Do you know what? I think... What you're presenting. I don't know, Ben. I think myself, the thing is that I think things are changing. I think, I think, I think we should take hold of that and maybe grow with it. I, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't have this thing whereby certain things are sacramount you know you can't do certain things but then if you're going to encompass this change in in in, in what's going on maybe we should have, have have some space for that maybe we should say okay you know what we have a category where things are staged and it's and it's about photo illustration or maybe it's that but then some people will disagree with me say hey do you know what it is the wrong competition this is this is about the press this is about the truth and this mm. is about all of it. but you know i think we've forgotten i think we're also forgetting the history of photography you know eugene smith you know he's a player out of these pictures loads yeah, no. still, still regarded as one of the best photojournalists in the you know of his time. Yeah, yeah, there was a certain amount of, uh, and that doesn't go down. I mean, a lot, I mean, there's a lot of people. I mean, where where does it change? I mean, because are, are the rules changed because the technology has changed? I mean, I guess the point about the the controversy on the world press thing is that um, it's important that people can trust what they consider to be. Uh, documentary photography or mm-hmm. reportage or whatever you call it and as soon as you can't trust that anymore as soon as it's just well I don't know you know I don't know what I'm looking at suddenly everything changes okay I completely understand what you're saying there but I think this is where you the caveats have to go in and I think as a community if we're going to if it, as we see the industry changing I think these caveats should be in place where people are informed about it and that's like, and there goes in the lie about people being honest about stuff I think if we, as a community, and you know, people who are doing this kind of work, who are working in this particular way, should say, "Hey, do you know what? This is what I did. This is this is not meant to be the truth. This is my version or my interpretation of stuff." Yeah, I think that's absolutely. I, absolutely I think that's fine. What, I think that's what we need to do. And it goes back to the whole idea that you know the the the, the notion that photography is somehow objective is ridiculous and always always has been. Yeah, I, uh, and that there's you know, but if you are if you are trying to work within a certain discipline, there is an expectation that you at least do your best to portray reality, you know, honestly. And if you're going to mess around with captions and, um, Mm. you know, say an image was shot in a place where it wasn't shot, then those things are just very obviously... Oh, look, I agree with you. And if, you know, in, in the context of the competition and the legitimacy of the pictures within that, yeah, um... And what was entered into, of course, you, you know, that he, yeah, he, there, was, there was no choice but to disqualify him because those captions were wrong. Um, but now I would say we need to just work out where we're sitting. And maybe, maybe the thing is that, you know, at the end of the day, that you can't have categories because that is the world press and they want to hold on to it being the mm. world press. And maybe we need a different thing whereby that goes into, a, a, you know, you're entering that in a different way if it goes into a competition at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the reason I was asking about whether there's this kind of move away from documentary, uh, I was phrased it in a weird way. So I was talking about it being unfashionable. But um, a lot of people who, you know, a few years ago would have um, gone to 
Perpignan to mm. the doctor. Go to go to Arles now. And now go to Arles. Yeah. And and I think that's that's indicative of a wide a wider kind of trend, which is that people are moving more towards the art world uh, uh, and away from, you know, kind of straightforward mm. reportage. Okay, so I think, you know, there's, there's two or three different things that are happening, right? You know, the, the elephant in the room is the economy. Yeah. Right? I mean, the thing is, at the end of the day, unless you're contracted or, or, or you have people who are, who are really supporting you, who are going to commission you for work, yeah, for those stories, which is rare, quite rare now, um, it becomes very, very difficult. I think also there's a, been a massive m- movement in terms of the art, the art market or field or whatever you want to call it in photography. It has become very fashionable. People are, it's much more stronger to be freer because you're no longer bound by the boundaries that were there in the first, you know, when I, when I first started, you were either a photojournalist or a fashion photographer or a portrait photographer or whatever, still life photographer. Now you have this freedom that you can find yourself in any of those categories and move around quite happily. Um, and the idea of expression is, you know, you can go do that. Um, and also, let's not forget the kudos value. Yeah. Because certainly, you know, um, if you are seen as an artist, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a different vibe from being a photojournalist. Oh, totally. Yeah, you get treated very differently. Listen, mate, you get treated very, very differently. It's a different world. It's a different world. It's a, it, it, it's, um, you get chicks if you're an artist. Shit, man, I used to get chicks when I was a photojournalist. <laughs> oh. um, no, I mean, like, no, no, seriously. It's just like, it's, that was it's, before you were married, right? That's before I was married. Yeah, um, but no, but the thing is, it's like, a, it's like that thing, isn't it? It's like, there is, a, there, is, there is this kudos value that's attached to you if you are seen as an artist. Um, now, you know, the question is, has it become fashionable to say, am I an artist or am I a documentary photographer? And has that movement allowed that? Because, like, I certainly know that, you know, I went to a festival quite recently in England and I was in a pub and I went to, a, you know, I entered the pub, I, I went to a table full of, you know, some people were going to be there. And the surprise of the evening was seeing who was on that table because here you had a very successful photojournalist or documentary photographer who was at a festival. Um, and that harks back to the whole thing about, oh, you know what you're saying? Because I think uh, it's really, really interesting how people are changing the dynamic of something and how they are looking at themselves and and what are the reasonings behind this. You know? So this was someone who, who was, he wouldn't have expected to be at that particular no, festival? Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. I, I, you know, and I, and I say that because it surprised me, and I, you know, I'm not, I'm not surprised easily, right? But it surprised me because I, it was that moment. I thought, okay, this is interesting, and yeah. and I also, you know, I've also noticed how people treat me now, because, you know, I, I don't, I, you know, I know photographers today who don't know me as a, who don't know my photojournalism history. They don't know my backstory because right. I can, I change traje- I change trajectory about who I was and what I was going to do with my work. You know, because the thing is that at the end of the day, you know, my work is still documentary. It's contemporary documentary. And it's kind of, it, it, it's, that, it's that blurred of lines between art and photography, that middle ground, you know, that kind of, it's the, whatever you want to call it, that kind of bit, it's kind of, you're blurring lines between there. But um, those photographers who, who, are, who, are, who are classic documentary photographers, who are classic photojournalists, reportage guys and girls, um, when I meet them now, they don't, they don't. I'm not. I'm not part of that gang, right? You, you somehow know? jumped ship. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, and it's, and it's kind of weird because you know, inside my inside my head, sometimes you know, you because you see what's going on in the industry, and you kind of you're moving around in these circles, these little cliques of people, and you're kind of looking around, you think yourself like it's really strange because you know how people treat you. You know, who, who you know who which groups are you invited into, and when you're invited into those groups. You know, it's like, you know, I, you know, I, I remember, I guess a new, new, new photojournalist didn't know who I was, didn't say anything to me really, kind of, I mean, I felt, my, my ego felt kind of like bruising myself, oh, right, okay, so I'm now, you know, here such and such, you know, not really seen as part of this whole kind of thing. And then suddenly, it changed. Suddenly people started treating me very differently. And it was like, 
And it was the same fault as journalists, but I think what it was was because they suddenly saw this track of the work. And I think it's that whole thing about fashion and kudos value and how people look at you and how you're seen in the industry. And that whole idea of what you're saying, being, fa- being, fa- being fashionable. Because if you're seen as an artist, people absolutely change the way they behave around you. I think also on a personal level, I think it's just, I mean, what, what always, it's just human nature, but always kind of worries me is the fact that I, I really don't like the idea of cleats, you know? I hate that kind of whole thing that we have, but I certainly, I've seen it. I've seen, it, I've seen what damage it can do to people. Because, you know, we're all fragile. What's, the, what's an example? Well, the example is that I think if you have a, I think if you have a young photographer and you're kind of, um, and you have a certain group of their friends who are doing really well, and I think uh, suddenly, you know, they're, 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 they're known on the international scene because it's, you know, social media allows this kind of sudden elevation of, of, of these personalities. And then if you have this young photographer who doesn't feel part of it, it can pretty much destroy them because it, because it eats into them. And, and worse so now because of social media. I think people start questioning what they're doing. And I think that's the hard thing. And so, you know, when, when these cliques are formed, I think, I, think, I think you've got to be really, really careful. I think you've got to be a lot more open about stuff. I think, if you, if you, I think you know, we're in, we're in that time now where sharing is much more important. I think, you know, we, whatever practice we're from, I think it is important that we share and, you know, help each other. What you said at the interesting about being honest about stuff, I think, you know, that's the thing of it. I think people are sometimes too scared, to be honest. Yeah. Because they think they, if they're honest, they, they, they kind of, they, they, they're kind of, they're kind of, they, they, they're cracking the myth. No, exactly. And it's, uh, you know, you're kind of putting yourself in a vulnerable position and, um, yeah, there is a kind of tendency to want to um, pre- present a certain side to yeah. oneself, which I kind of, again, am somewhat. That's kind of what I'm trying to do here, I suppose. No, uh, I, I think it's important because I think. That. No, I think it's really important because I think the thing is this. I think when I was on my residency, I just I, I had a moment of clarity, and and I and I read some work and an interview by Emmett Gowin, an American photographer. He's kind of, I don't know how old he is now. Wonderful photographer. And I just thought, my God, it's the honesty. And like Robert Adams, you know, you read about these guys and you read, and it's just like, there's depth, you know, it's none of this bullshit, you know, they just do what they do. And I just kind of, it made me realise that not, not everybody's going to like the work you do. Not every picture that is going to like the work you do, and not everybody who sees it is going to like what you do. But if you like it, if you like doing it, and you're happy with it, and you kind of you can you can survive by doing it, that's the important thing, you know. Of course, I want to make some bloody money, but you know, at the end of the day, it's more about if you can do it, and you're and you're making your work, you're happy about the work you're making, and you know, when you whether you're working in a dark room or working on your computer, and you look at a picture, and if it, if it makes you think, you know, I nailed that, I got the picture, it works, all the rest of it, and it's kind of and you challenge yourself. Certainly for me, that's that's enough. That's, I think that's a very good place to stop. Cheers, Ben. Thanks, Catfish. Mm-hmm.